We'll hear argument first this morning, number 941140, 44 Liquor Mart, Inc., versus the Rhode, versus Rhode Island and Rhode Island Liquor Stores Association. Mr. Lawson. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, price advertising has always been at the heart of the commercial speech doctrine. Indeed, it was the Court's concern for the free flow of price information that prompted the Court about 20 years ago to uh, overturn the concept that commercial speech had no First Amendment protection and to accord particularly price advertising protection under the First Amendment. Since that time, the jurisprudence of the Court has developed and the central Hudson test has become established and refined. Application of the central Hudson test to this case would yield the result that Rhode Island's ban on truthful price advertising should be found unconstitutional. Uh, ordinarily, uh, the central Hudson test seems to be discussed in a sequential fashion. But I would like to turn to the last part of the central Hudson test, because I think that it is under that part that the defect of this ban is the most clearly apparent. The last part of the central Hudson test uh, requires that the state's restriction on speech be no more extensive than is necessary. Uh, as this court has posited it, that means that the restriction uh, not burden speech any more than is necessary. In this particular case, it is clear on the record, both from the testimony of the state's own expert and from the obvious facts of the case that are not disputed, that Rhode Island could accomplish the purpose that it says it wants to accomplish, that is, keeping an artificial price floor for alcoholic beverages, simply by setting uh, tax rates or by setting minimum consumer well, prices. No, we, we don't apply a least restrictive means test in that fourth prong of Central Hudson. So to, to show that so, something else might have been done uh, isn't enough, I don't think. I'm not arguing for a least restrictive means test. What I'm suggesting to the court is that where the state has a choice between regulating speech and not regulating speech at all, that it has an obvious alternative uh, well, that why, doesn't why, burden speech. Why isn't that a le least restrictive means approach? I don't think it is, because I think that uh, the least restrictive means approach would deal with uh, an array of choices uh, of various degrees of regulation of speech. The, the precedent that I would cite for this uh, is the recent Coors decision. In the recent Coors decision, uh, you will recall, the government was concerned with uh, preventing strength wars. And this wasn't that a, a federal regulation we dealt with? Yes, course. it was. And here we're dealing with a state regulation. That is, that is correct. And presumably the states have a little more leeway because of the 21st Amendment in the area of control of alcoholic beverages sales. I, I would uh, submit to you that the, the state's power to control alcoholic beverages sales uh, is not dependent upon the 21st Amendment, but is in, inherent in their Well, surely power. the 21st Amendment extends some power to the states that it, they wouldn't otherwise have in this area. Yes, it does. With respect to the Commerce Clause yes, barriers. It yes, it does. Uh, but what I'm suggesting to you uh, and what I've argued is that the 21st Amendment does not in any way 
uh, cut back on the force of the First Amendment as it is applied to the states. How do you explain this court's action in Queensgate Investment Company uh, in 1982 where the court dismissed for want of a substantial federal question a case where a state uh, regulation of price advertising of liquor was upheld? Well, uh, quite frankly, I can't explain it because the court did not uh, uh, issue an opinion, and the court has said in other occasions... At least it said there wasn't a substantial federal question. That's correct, but the, the court has said on uh, other occasions that a summary dismissal of this uh, sort does not imply even agreement with the opinion of the court uh, that is below. It's nonetheless a holding that the uh, uh, appeal raises no substantial federal question. That is true. Now, I, I can distinguish, uh, I think, rather uh, easily the Queensgate facts from the facts of this case. For example, in the Queensgate situation, there was no blanket ban on price advertising. There was a ban on advertising a price advantage. It would seem to me that the state could, in fact, uh, have a higher level of justification. I'm not arguing that that would be proper, but I think it clearly distinguishes that from a total uh, blackout of price information, which is what's present in this case. Do you think that Posadas is some authority for saying that the state could ban any advertising at all of alcoholic beverages? Uh, I don't think that Posadas is quite that strong an authority. I think that what Posada says, uh, as I read it, uh, it suggests that if the state wants to uh, stifle demand for a product, uh, at least under the circumstances of Posada, it could do so by stifling advertising. Uh, do you this, think Rhode Island could ban all advertising of alcoholic beverages? As I read the court's jurisprudence with the, with the question put in that fashion, I think the answer is no, because what this court has said is that states may not ban truthful, non-misleading advertising. They may, however, restrict it if they do so in accordance with the Central Hudson test. So if you put the question in terms of a general ban, my answer to that would be no. Even though they could ban any sale of, or uh, consumption of liquor? Yes, and, and the reason for that, Your Honor, is that it seems to me that the states must always act in accordance with the Constitution. Well, how does that square with Posadas, your position? Well, the way it squares with Posadas is that, first of all, in Posadas, uh, the court was not confronted with a total ban on uh, advertising. Uh, it was uh, confronted with a, a partial restriction on certain types of advertising, so that in terms of a precedential effect, it seems to me you cannot simply take the Posadas result and graft it onto this case. Well, it's the same here. It's not all advertising. It's advertising of price. That's right. Uh, you can I, advertise liquor all you like, just, just not the price. I agree with you, and I think that's well, how, why... How, how, how is Posadas distinguished? Posadas is distinguished uh, only in that each case must apply the Central Hudson test to the facts that are before it. The court applied the Central Hudson test in Posadas and found the particular ban in Posadas to be justified. But isn't this case, counsel, more like gambling ads than it is like the price of drugs approved by the FDA? I don't think that it is. Uh, I, I think it's... it's uh, uh, very distinguishable from that because of the, what the state has asserted. Well, if we, is its the interest. state, as you said, could ban any sale of liquor. 
That seems clear. And it could ban gambling in its borders. That seems clear, too. But it couldn't ban FDA-approved drugs. That's probably true as well. Couldn't ban professional services. I think, well, I, I'm not sure whether it could or it couldn't, but... Could is that true? Are we resurrecting Lochner here? Why couldn't the state uh, say no, no opticians? Is there some... Is, is Lochner back with? I think I, no. I think the state. I think the state has a great deal of power to ban many things, and that's why I think that the logic of saying simply because you ha you may have the power to ban something, that you then have the power to ban speech about something that you're not banning, is is quite a different uh, uh, proposition. The state could ban toothpaste if it wanted to. Well, I think at some point you get to a you, to what? you get to a point of constitutional provision on toothpaste. Well, I, I would be, uh, I'd be. At some point, you get to Lochner. Is that it? I, I don't think so. I think that I think that the state. I think that before you get to the kinds of questions of whether the state could ban toothpaste, you have to get through practical political considerations. I think that there are certain things that the I'm, state I'm can't. Say, I'm not saying whether it would. I'm saying whether it could. I don't, I don't think any state would. I, I think. I wouldn't that, want to run on that ticket. <laughs> I don't think in Rhode Island you would want to run on the on the raising the price of alcoholic beverages. No, but the point is, you, you you would say that if the state could ban toothpaste, uh, and let's assume it could, unless you believe in Lochner, it still nonetheless could not ban toothpaste advertising, so long as it did not ban toothpaste. That's exactly my yes. And you'd say liquor is no different from toothpaste. That's right. That's a hard position to maintain, I suppose. But well, I, I liquor think, is no different from toothpaste. Well, I think that the court has. Yeah certainly suggested in the uh, court's case that when analyzing bans on commercial speech, it is not appropriate to recognize some hierarchy of products, some of which are entitled to more protection than other. Well, may I take us away from toothpaste and back to gambling? Yes. If I just look at this court's precedent and I say, well, there's Virginia board and that concern advertising the price of drugs. And then there's uh, the, the restriction on advertising to locals gambling casinos. So it seems to me liquor is closer to gambling casinos than it is to drugs. So why, don't, why doesn't Posadas control? It doesn't control in the sense that, it controls in the sense that you apply the central Hudson test to the facts of the case. Uh, it doesn't control in the sense that the application of the central Hudson test to this case yields a contrary result, then it would yield, or then it yielded in Posadas. But what I wonder is, is if, can, can, um, just going back for a second to, to where you started, suppose that a state thinks the following, people think this in the legislature, we don't mind if people buy liquor, but we're worried about them drinking too much. And we don't mind if the price is high or if small retailers make a lot of money because they're in neighborhoods. And we're afraid that if there are a lot of advertising for price, uh, all the high school students will run up where they say beer uh, half price this week or whiskey reduce 30 percent. Uh, and, and we're just afraid that people will start running and drink more uh, when they see those advertised specials. And so we think it's a sort of middle position, let them drink, let the price be fairly a little higher than it otherwise would. But let's stop these advertisings of specials, etc., because then we don't get uh, as many drunken drivers and we don't get uh, as much abuse of the product. Now, suppose that's what they thought. What's the state supposed to do, in your view, under the Constitution? 
Well, is it that it can't do anything about this problem that it sees or it can't implement the position that it's reached? I think that under the, under the central uh, Hudson test, the state would have to show that... I mean, so the facts are just exactly <clears throat> what I said. And let's also say they go into court and they make out a plausible case. I mean, I imagine you could make out a plausible case on the facts for that. I mean, maybe they couldn't, then that would be easy. But let's assume they make out a plausible case of just the facts I said. And what's the law supposed to uh, uh, allow them to do? If the state were able to show that, in fact... What they do is they go and do what I said. They get some people in who say, look, there are a lot of ads, and it's common sense to think when the price is a big special, kids will run up and others and buy the whiskey. And then somebody says, you haven't actually proved it. They say, yeah, well, we presented enough. I mean, that's the normal state of those things. Okay, so, so um, I want to know what the law is under those circumstances. I think the law is that under the central Hudson test, they have not satisfied the central Hudson test. Right, so you're saying the state's powerless in that situation? No, I'm saying that the state... What they're supposed to do in order to implement all the hearings before the legislature that bore out those facts? Well... If there were hearings that bore out those facts, and, there and if there were uh, uh, proof that was satisfactory that, that the state's hypothesis were in fact correct. I'm trying to get at what the state really should do. I'm trying to make the world real. And, well, and well, I what you said they should do is that they should set a minimum price. Well, I, I think... Uh, that would uh, restrict speech. It would have I the same effect and not restrict speech. I thought that's what... That is what I said, but the, prop, the proposition uh, added a new... Uh, the, 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 the hypothetical added a new uh, factor, which was that the state didn't want to keep the prices high. They just wanted to uh, deter price advertising because they thought that the, the presence of price advertising itself... Was a, yeah. was a stimulus. Specials and all these different Well, Mr. Lawson, yeah. can't you concede, what, what's the answer? In, in Justice Breyer's example, can't you concede that uh, the state might very well, under those circumstances, uh, prevail without conceding that the state prevails in this case? Because you've got at least one added overlay, it seems to me, in this case, and that is you've got a lot of, uh, or you've got some, uh, empirical studies done by parties who are not interested in this litigation, which tend to show uh, that what is, in fact, a, I, I think intuitively a very common sense view. I mean, Judge Aldrich was depending on that view to a degree in the Court of Appeals, doesn't, in fact, seem to be borne out. So don't you have a different case from the one that, that rests upon the intuitive good sense uh, and intuitive good sense alone. I think that I do, and, and I also, uh, in reviewing the, the cases that deal with this type of issue, uh, note that very often these cases simply turn upon logical discourses. Yeah, but what's worrying me is that so often these turn on like lawyers' arguments as there was 14 inches of proof on this side and 12 piles of evidence on the other side. But in the reality, what you do is you get witnesses who come in and say, sure, kids will buy more liquor if you advertise half price. And others say, we're not certain of that or how often. Now, well, that's the, what I want to know is given the state's decision that that's a problem, what, in your opinion, is the state supposed to do? Well, I think that, that going into the, the uh, hypothetical and, and recognizing that it's not the facts of this case, that the question then would turn upon how much the state has to show. This court has never 
uh, made explicit how much the state has to show as a factual matter. Well, I think this comes uh, down to an evidentiary question, then. I thought there was a, a, a point of principle at issue in this case. And I thought that the response to, uh, 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 to Justice Breyer's question was the state may require low prices or uh, may require high prices. But if it permits low prices, it may not prevent people from telling about low prices because that's a restriction of speech. I'm you may do the one, but you may not do the other. I thought that was the point of principle. I, that, is, that is the point that I was trying to make. That the uh, state may not have the motive that Justice Breyer Thank you. Attributes to <laughs> but, but you've also, Mr. Sure. Lawson, you've also got a requirement, I suppose, at, at least in the light of, um, uh, of Rubin and Coors, uh, of proof that there, in fact, will be a material degree of advancement of the state's interest. Yes. Uh, so your, your answer is ultimately going to uh, have to take into account the evidence on that point, isn't yes, it? Yes, and, and it is. And I, and I would suggest to you that, that, uh, that despite the characterization of the First Circuit that the evidence went both ways, when you really look at it, the evidence only went one way. But we're not here to evaluate evidence. Uh, I mean, we generally leave that to lower courts. Well, the, the, the trial court evaluated the evidence and, and found as a fact that there was no material and, and, advance. And the First Circuit reversed it. And we generally take our facts from the Court of Appeals. Well, I, I think that uh, the First Circuit uh, ordinarily would only be able to reverse the finding of fact of the trial court under the clearly erroneous standard. Well, but in how, how much of this is a matter of evidentiary proof, the way the, the stoplight was green or the stoplight was red? Isn't there a certain latitude allowed to the state to indulge perhaps a common sense presumption that uh, if you don't advertise the price of liquor, the prices will remain higher and therefore not as much will be sold? I mean, I how many witnesses do you have to have to have to prove that? Well, I think that, uh, uh, first of all, there may be, if the, state, uh, if the state stated a logical proposition and that was unopposed, perhaps that would be a different case. But in this case, there was evidence, and the state's own expert, I think, uh, agreed that simply changing the price of liquor does not necessarily affect consumption. Well, then why are you going away from your first point, which was if they want to keep the price high, there are ways that they can keep the price high that don't involve speech. That's, well, but the, the state said something else besides keeping the price high. They say we can deter liquor sales, one, by having a high price, also making it harder to find what you want. You can't just run in and say, give me the special that you advertised in the paper. The search time. And there, I don't see your non-speech alternative working. Well, the, the, uh, the problem with the state's position on, on, uh, on the search time argument, which is the, the generic problem with the state's position, is that in order for its theory to work, there has to be enough of a shift in prices that there will actually be an effect on consumption. This is what the state's expert talks about as the optimum price. And the state's expert conceded that, number one, he didn't know what the optimum price would be. And he essentially conceded that he had no way of knowing, and in view of the fact that Rhode Island, with its price ban in effect for almost 40 years, was in the top third in consumption, there was no evidence to show that the state's theory worked. 
And the three studies uh, that were introduced, including the Orenstein and Hansen study that the state relied on, indicated that price advertising ban had no effect on consumption in what are called licensed states, that is, states that use the free enterprise system. Therefore, there simply is a, a failure of proof of the connection between uh, an, an effect on price and an adequate effect on price. Mr. Lawson, why isn't it just common sense that if I can go into the liquor store and it says Chardonnay 50% off, I can go in and get it in one minute. But if it's, there's just all that wine out there and I don't know what one has the low price tag, I'm going to have to spend more time in the liquor shop. Well, I, I don't think, let me illustrate the common sense uh, approach in this fashion. Uh, hypothetically, uh, let's assume that I drink uh, one glass of wine a week. Uh, if wine suddenly became uh, twice as expensive, uh, I'm not going to pass up on my one glass of wine a week. The state's swing in prices is much less dramatic uh, so, so, so supposing I budget $10 a week for liquor, <laughs> rather than saying I'm going to drink one glass, I'm going to drink however much I can buy for $10. No. <laughs> I don't think that's... I don't think that that's, that's really accurate. I think well, that... Well, I think it, that uh, how, 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 can, how can you be sure that everyone works just the way your mind does? You know, obviously in a very disciplined fashion, I'm going to drink so much. <laughs> Maybe somebody else says, I've got $10, $10 in my bud weekly budget for liquor. Well, well, I'll buy however much I can. If that hypothesis were correct, which seems to make common sense, it would show up in some data, and it doesn't. We have a, a dramatic situation, the Michigan situation, where you had a price advertising ban in effect, you had it lifted for 16 months, and you had it put back into effect. It was studied, and there was found to be no difference. Now, if the theory is correct that people will suddenly uh, buy more because price advertising... Yes, these bars that have happy hours don't know what they're doing. They're just, well, they're just throwing money away. I think they're, the happy hour situation is different. Low prices do, do, do not increase the volume of sales. The happy, it's a the novel economic theory, I might say. The happy hour situation is, is different, and I think you also have to remember that what the state is, has said it's directing its regulation at is not volume of sales, it's directing its regulation at temperance, which, which seems to mean uh, abuse of consumption, although the state has shifted its, uh, shifted its ground a little bit. Uh, there's, there's no indication that abuse of consumption is affected by the kind of price swings that, uh, that the state is, is trying to put into effect. And once again, getting back to part four, it can accomplish that objective without burdening speech at all. And I no, Just a, a, a quick point. Apropos of evaluating what indications there are in the record, evaluating the evidence, do you concede that this court has no independent role in doing that? Well, I... I you seem I have to in mind by your Bose silence a little while ago. Is, is that your position? No, I have in mind the Bose case, which would indicate that the court does have an independent role, at least when the lower court's decision uh, runs uh, contrary to protecting uh, Protecting what? Speech. Speech, speech it's, the, it's the First Amendment 
It's the First so Amendment, yes. The First have we Amendment. we ever applied Bose in the commercial speech area? Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware I'm of. Uh, I, I don't know. One of the things that's interested me about reviewing the commercial speech cases is how rarely they seem to actually be tried with evidence. Uh, mostly they seem to be, they seem to play out in some theoretical uh, realm. And uh, uh, in the circumstances where there is evidence, by and large, the court seems to be uh, upholding uh, the side that has the weight of the evidence, for example, in the Florida bar case. Uh, May I ask in, in this state, is it legal to sell liquor to high school kids? No, it's not. I would like to reserve two minutes. Very well, Mr. Lawson. Uh, Ms. Partington? Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Uh, the state of Rhode Island has adopted an advertising ban on the price of alcoholic beverages that meets this court's test for restrictions on free speech. Uh, and commercial speech in particular. And that is what we have here is commercial speech, which is entitled to a lesser degree of protection than other forms of non-commercial speech. Uh, suppose, suppose that uh, students in Rhode Island over 18 or over 21 had a computer internet, uh, and one student was very interested in uh, advising all of the people that uh, would plug into the internet what the, what the prices were in various liquor stores for, for say, beer and wine. Could the state prohibit that? Under the 21st Amendment separately, it probably could, but that's not a commercial speech question because that's not proposing a commercial transaction from seller to buyer. So I think you have other concerns other than a First Amendment concern in that well, case. Just addressing the First Amendment concerns, are there First Amendment problems with the hypothetical? That would probably, the way I interpret that would be a a free speech question, not a commercial speech question, and I think the standard would be different. However, uh, this court has taught, as discussed earlier, uh, and it's the state's position that if you can totally ban uh, the sale of a product, you can ban advertisements, but I have trouble seeing that as commercial speech. I think that's more of an opinion, and that, and that the state would be hard-pressed to restrict that, that uh, sort of speech. And suppose that there... Uh were some sort of a charge to access this particular information. I still don't uh, think the fact, again, this court has said in the case of where there is a book or a pamphlet that discusses sales of this and that, that doesn't make it commercial speech just because you sell a book about something. It has to be proposing a commercial transaction, and that's the very limited area we are in here today, so I think that those two situations are different. So suppose there were testimony, and, and there isn't, this is wholly hypothetical, but suppose that uh, the availability of the Internet type of, or, or uh, com computer information type of, uh, publication was was widely available and, and widely used. Would would that change the uh, calculus here, so far as judging the constitutionality of banning it in newspapers? Of banning it in newspapers? Yes. Not unless it became commercial speech. I don't think the the size of the audience is a factor in the Central Hudson test. Um, uh, could could a newspaper just on its own uh, print all this information just as a 
advice to the consumer? As a matter of fact, that happened immediately before this case uh, came up to this court. One of the newspapers in the state uh, did a story, and most of it was focused on the difference in prices among liquor stores, and they did, as part of that story, as part of that uh, news piece, run prices. And um, our liquor control administrator would not find that that was a violation because that is not proposing a commercial transaction. I realize there's a line there, but I, I think it would, that was easy to distinguish. They were discussing the difference between prices in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. If there, if there were widespread exchange of price information in some of the media that I propose and some of the methods that I propose, it would seem to me the state's interest would be the same. This, I mean, this undercuts your interest. You don't want people to know about price changes because that might uh, increase uh, consumption. I suppose if it rose to the level of of an advertisement or if it appeared that some of the liquor retailers were attempting to subvert the advertisement um, requirement or the advertising ban, then the state could take some action. But this, the, the example that you give and the, the facts that happened in the state of Rhode Island were so very clearly part of a newsworthy event that was taking place that the, that the ban did not apply. I suppose that the, the uh, liquor salesman says, please tell your neighbor about our low prices. Could the uh, state prohibit him from doing that? Not under the ban as, as it exists today, I don't. Constitutionally, could the state prohibit that? Yes, I believe they could. Under the 21st Amendment, I think the state has um, a separate basis uh, for dealing with, uh, with all manner of discussion involving um, involving alcoholic beverages. And if you had no 21st Amendment? If we had no 21st Amendment, the state still has considerable police powers and has always had considerable police powers in dealing with alcoholic beverages. Uh, since the mid-1800s, this nation's history has always given the state considerable police power uh, to regulate the sales of alcoholic more, beverages. More than toothpaste? More than toothpaste, yes. Is that right? That's in the Constitution? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, apart from the 21st Amendment. The 21st Amendment gives the state, this court has said, something more than the ordinary police power. And with respect to commerce. With, with, res with respect to the demands of the Commerce Clause of the Constitution, it does. But uh, where, where in it does it say that it, it somehow increases the state's uh, authority uh, under the First Amendment or, or in the face of the First Amendment? The court has repeatedly, in cases not dealing with commercial speech, and this is the, from what I can tell, the court's first uh, commercial speech state 21st Amendment case in recent years, um, the 21st Amendment acting together with, and the state would make an argument that the 21st Amendment together with the fact that alcoholic beverages are involved here, and they are not one argument but two, gives the state considerable regulatory power here and assists the state in meeting the central... Well, there are... Um, if we take Craig v. Born as our model, then I would think that you're, there's not too much to your 21st Amendment. But I thought you were relying most heavily on the Posadas case, saying, we, well, 21st Amendment we can put in as a wage or wait. Absolutely, and that, that takes me back to applying the central Hudson test. And I think in answer to a couple of the questions I heard earlier, it is not a question of who presents the most evidence. It's a question of could the state and can the state reasonably believe that by banning price advertising, the substantial and legitimate state interests will be advanced. Well, how, does, how do you get over the, the requirement, which I thought was expressed in Rubin and Coors, uh, that in fact the indication has got to be that the state's interest is, I think the word was materially, advanced. It seems to me that that 
if that means anything, it requires something more than a reasonable basis for the state's belief that it would be advanced. Well, I read that requirement in Rubin, which, by the way, suggested a marketing ban on the, regarding the strength of beer as a feasible alternative to the labeling ban. I read Rubin, and I read that together with the Florida Bar case, which cautioned that in every case we do not have to have a mountain of scientific uh, evidence. Well, it, we're, not, we're not talking, I think, about quantity of evidence. We're just talking about the quality of evidence. And the evidence has got to indicate, Rubin says, that there is a material advancement of the state's interest. Correct. And, and uh, how do you get around that? And, and I guess more specifically, um, how is that indicated on this record? Um, first of all, the, the Florida Bar case said that you can rest a reasonable belief on data, studies, history, and common sense. We have all of that present in this case. Uh, we have many things. By the way, do we make that determination uh, that, that, in fact, the advancement, if it is advancement, is to a material or substantial degree? Is that, is that a judgment for this court to make? I think that not under a clearly erroneous standard, Your Honor. Well, no, but, but we, we're, we're dealing with a First Amendment issue. Do, do, you, uh, do you think we have an, an independent evidentiary weighing function because there is a First Amendment uh, speech issue here? I think that it goes back to, and the state would argue that, it has to be a reasonable belief on the state's no, part no. that it would be a could, I, could I just call you back, though, to my last question? In, in making that determination, does this court have an independent function in weighing the evidence because there is a First Amendment issue involved? Not to weigh the evidence, but to see if the state put forth some evidence that could support the reasonable belief. But well, but that, we, we, we have said in, in non-commercial speech cases that, in fact, the court and, and any court dealing with a First Amendment speech issue uh, has an obligation to evaluate the evidence independently. Now, do we have that obligation here? That's something quite different from saying there is a sufficient basis in the evidence from which a, a lower court could have concluded whatever it concluded. It's an independent role in evidentiary evaluation. Do we have that in this case? Correct, and I think the Fifth, we do? The fifth Circuit in the Dunnigan no, case. No, is your answer that we do have that? The appellate courts in First, yes, sir, that okay. the appellate courts in a First Amendment case have a special role, not to review under a clearly erroneous standard, but to see whether a reasonable basis exists, and they made the distinction, the Dunnigan, the Fifth Circuit, and the Fourth Circuit recently in the Anheuser-Busch case, uh, made the determination between the adjudicative and the legislative facts, and that is the state's argument here today, that it's, as long as there is a reasonable belief um, and we are not limited to our record below. No, but haven't, hasn't this court got to have the reasonable belief if we are going to, uh, or be justified in having the reasonable belief if we are going to engage in that independent evidentiary evaluation? Yes, and I'd okay. like to... Now, feel... why should we have that reasonable belief? All right. I would like to point you to several factors in this case that support that reasonable belief. In addition to the testimony, the data, the studies, uh, the state put forward, which were based on generally accepted um, and well-established economic principles. On, on that point, could I just interrupt you with one, one problem that's running through my mind? Let's assume that when you raise prices, there'll be less consumption. That seems fairly common sense. But I gather that it's soon that the consumers in the state are 85% of them are perfectly temperate. Maybe 10 or 15% are abusive drinkers. And you're concerned about the price to, to those who are not temperate. Do you think that raising the price to the 85% who may be perfectly temperate and may not consume any more, or keeping the price up, uh, it furthers the uh, state interest? 
I think that the testimony that we have is that consumption generally... Right, generally would be affected. Let's assume that's true. But how do you know, how, how do you balance in your figuring out whether it's an appropriate thing to do the impact on those who will remain temperate, who presumably are most of the consumers, and the minority who might be affected by it? How do you know you're, you're, you're being successful with the minority? I think that that's a point the experts made here. You cannot study this subject in that detail. You cannot know exactly uh, which part of your society that you're affecting. All of the experts said this was a very difficult area to study and that the generally accepted economic principles applied to alcohol, uh, we have to look at it in a much larger picture if consumption is... And what if the evidence showed that there are only 5% were intemperate uh, drinkers? Would that make any difference? That you make the 95% pay more anyway because you're so concerned about the 5%. I think that that sort of figure would go to the reasonableness of the legislature's belief. And what do we know about the figure in this case? We do not know because all of, this, all of our experts said that those figured, figures would be impossible to compile. So it comes down to whose decision should it be to make this social policy? Should it be the legislators of the state of Rhode Island or the liquor retailers in the state of Rhode Island? Well, making, making the 95% pay more is no problem. The state can do that without any difficulty, can it? it I mean, it could, it, could set, uh, it could set minimum prices. I don't think the minimum price... And that would make 95% pay more, and there'd be no problem at all. You can always make people pay more. The, the only thing you can't do is, is, uh, is, is withhold information from them in some circumstances. And in addressing Mr. Lawson's, um, the narrowness issue and the minimum price problems, I don't think, and I disagree that the minimum price uh, would, would be as effective as this. Number one, there is a, a constitutional problem in minimum retail prices, uh, and this court has previously held that. Constitutional problem? Uh, this court, I believe in mid-calories. You, you think that the state could not set some kind of minimum prices for alcohol? I think that the schemes that have been propounded by states in the past have had constitutional problems. And also they don't... Well, what happened to the vigor of the 21st Amendment? A moment ago you were saying it was pretty good against the First Amendment, but suddenly it's, it's weakened. I don't think so. I think that the minimum retail prices, and, and to answer a couple of questions that came during petitioner's argument, minimum retail prices simply would not work as well in this case. They okay, would. but I thought it was the constitutional problems that you alluded to that I was alluding to. Uh, if the 21st Amendment is good a, a, against speech, why isn't it good against these constitutional problems? If I understand your question correctly, um, why wouldn't a Why do you have constitutional problems uh, in setting a, a liquor price when you got the 21st Amendment? Historically, in the minimum retail price area, the states have been affecting prices in other states and other areas of the country, and that has been held to be improper and unacceptable, even with the 21st Amendment. I am not arguing that the 21st Amendment is absolute or that it trumps the First Amendment. If, we, if our concern is how do we keep the price high, let's substitute for a, a tax. Now, I don't think there's any problem with the um, constitutional problem of state putting a higher tax on liquor. That would up the price. That would wouldn't up. restrict speech. And it wouldn't work as well because it wouldn't remove the artificial inducement to consume that an advertisement constitutes. The artificial inducement... I thought the, the, artific I thought the artificial inducement uh, was in the price, in, in the capacity to advertise low prices, not the capacity to advertise as such. It is the state's position, and it is a reasonable belief that would support this ban, that those citizens who are already so inclined to consume 
will purchase no matter what. Then, then it seems to me your argument is showing that, that the state can perfectly well ban oral advertising of liquor. You'd take it all the way. Oh, I, I absolutely think okay. that a state can, a total advertising ban would mm -hmm. be constitutional. Uh, Mrs. Partington, can I, I'm not sure what the scope of, of the concession that you made to Justice Souter uh, earlier was. Do, do I take it that you acknowledge that, uh, that with respect to the First Amendment, uh, we, we uh, as opposed to other constitutional, uh, claimed constitutional violations, we have uh, uh, some special authority to make factual determinations on our own uh, and disregard factual determinations reasonably made, uh, reasonably, but, but we disagree with it, made by state legislatures, for example. I think that in the First Amendment different from other amendments? The rule, as I understand it, is, and the First Amendment has been afforded a lot of special consideration by this court, and again, set out in the Dunnigan footnote better than I'm saying it today, obviously, mm -hmm. is that appellate courts in a First Amendment case bear a special role in reviewing the lower courts. You're not bound by their evidence. Well, why is that? I mean, more than other constitutional, let's say, violation of equal protection or discrimination against someone because of race. And I think in First Amendment's different. We, we, would, uh, we would not accept uh, uh, judgments of legislatures in that area that we would with respect to the other matters. Well, I think in, in the past this court has accepted... Sort of a privileged amendment, is it? I mean, the First Amendment? Or the others are, are, are disfavored? I think that this court has always held a special place for the First Amendment. And the law that hearts. I have read it, perhaps other amendments are entitled... But to a great deal of deference. And how, how about in commercial speech cases? Have we shown the same uh, deference to the First Amendment as we have in non-commercial speech cases? No, and I think that's just the point about the commercial speech doctrine, and that is the state's position is that it is not as protected because it is proposing a commercial transaction. In this case, a transaction, the sale of alcoholic beverages, a highly regulated commodity. Well, how, how, may I ask this, this general question in terms of factual basis for the statute. What if the record show, and I'm not going to suggest it does, that the real motivation for the statute was to protect the competitive position of the small retailer and to enable price fixing to succeed without uh, the, these discounters cutting prices all the time. That's really what motivated it. But it also has this additional support that you can say it tends to reduce consumption. Would that affect the constitutional analysis at all? I think as long as the state's asserted interest in this case is substantial, and is advanced, and the state could reasonably have believed it was advanced, the peripheral effect on the distribution scheme and on the small retailers and the large retailers and their relationship. No, I'm not saying that's the peripheral effect. I'm assuming for my hypothetical, and I guess it's alleged in one count of the complaint, that that filed by the Wise Place, that the real background of the statute is, is just old-fashioned price fixing. If that were, if that were proved and, and assumed to be, be the fact, would that affect the constitutional analysis? I think it would under the substantial interest test or the substantial interest prong of Central Hudson. Could protection of the smaller retailers be a substantial interest? Fortunately, we don't have to determine that here. The substantial interest has been stipulated to. That's just the question that's bothering me. Suppose that you were, I understand your argument to be, look, banning the price advertising is better than the tax because when you advertise prices, people run out and buy the thing in a way they don't with a tax. And, of course, price controls require an elaborate administrative mechanism and bring a host of problems of their own. So suppose I accept that and say, okay, you have a plausible justification here. Suppose that's what the Constitution held. 
than could the small broccoli producers or the small, uh, I don't know, the small table producers or the distributors or virtually any product under the sun that could create a plausible reason why the product has some negative aspects to it. Do exactly the same thing and create price advertising bans against dozens of products. I mean, is your product special? Or if we allow the ban to be constitutional here, is the court also saying that price advertising could be stopped across the board in any product where there is a plausible argument that too much use of the product by a group would be harmful? That, that's what's worrying me. Is this a special product? Or if, if this product, you can restrict advertising. Can they do the same thing with plausible reasons? And of course, lots of producers like to stop advertising if they can agree to do it across the board. Or is your product special? And if so, how? I think our product is quite special because of this nation's regulatory history of alcoholic beverages. If some other product were to have the history that alcoholic beverages has, uh, including a total prohibition on sales of that product in the nation for a period of years, how about bullets and firearms? Could the state uh, impose price advertising restrictions on those? I think if we met the Central Hudson test, we would then have to create more of a legislative history in this case than we had to in the gun case. Uh, in the liquor case, you have a history prepared for us. It's out there. It has been established by... Of course, part of the history in the liquor cases is that this mom and pop stores want this legislation very badly. Uh, they intervened on the side of, of the state, correct. The state's interest in, is in the constitutionality of this law, and we believe it is because it is a reasonable belief. And uh, beforehand, I was setting out those factors that supported the state's reasonable belief. And, and food, pro food products that eaten in too great an amount cause diseases or uh, uh, could lead to overweight or... Uh, For instance, like red meat. Yeah, or I don't, in anything that's carcinogenic in large doses to small animals. I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for the, 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 is there a stopping point or is this to uh, authorize lo lots of uh, state rules that would in effect uh, inhibit price competition? I think at this point in history, alcoholic beverages stand in a unique position because of the history and because it's the only grant of power to the states the 21st Amendment to regulate. But doesn't that just give states more power uh, within the interstate commerce clause area? Has this court ever said that the 21st Amendment gives the states more power to interfere with the First Amendment? No, you have not. However, I, in the Larkin case, which was a First Amendment case, not a free speech case, you did state that um, in the area of that Larkin was concerned with, uh, the state's regulation of alcoholic beverages deserves great deference. And I would say at this point, the 21st and the First Amendments are both part of the same Constitution, as was said in the Craig versus Boren case. And a reasonable accommodation was made here. It is sufficiently narrow. I think... I don't see what the 20... I think this 21st Amendment seems to me entirely irrelevant. The, the only operative provision here is the, the transportation or Im importation into any state uh, for delivery or use therein of intoxicating liquors in violation of the laws thereof is hereby prohibited. 
Well, as I was saying... I, mean, I don't see what power that gives to the state. It, it just says that, uh, that it's unlawful to bring into the state something that's against the state the state's alcohol laws, but the state they're not given any new powers over alcohol. And I think it might be a mistake to limit my position to saying the 21st Amendment gives us power. It gives a lot more. It, the 21st Amendment should weave in and out of the Central Hudson Test, and the alcoholic beverages should weave in and out of the Central Hudson Test, again, as providing a history. <laughs> I don't states. think this Court has ever said we weave the 21st Amendment in and out of some First Amendment analysis. I think that would be a disaster. Can you win your case uh, if the 21st Amendment has nothing to do with it? I believe so, Your Honor. I believe the Central Hudson test has been met by the state in this case, irrespective what, what of... What do you say today is the state's ultimate interest here? To reduce consumption of alcohol? Uh, the state's asserted interest in the statute is the promotion of temperance and the reasonable control in the traffic of alcoholic beverages. Do you think it likely that a legislature, that the Rhode Island legislature, would enact direct price control or raise taxes to do that? Or does it have to depend on this very indirect way of achieving that goal? Well, I would have to disagree with the the characterization of this as indirect because I think as the Fourth Circuit recently said in the Anheuser-Busch case uh, and this court said marketing and advertising are a direct link to consumption and in this case and as taught in prior cases and decisions by this court beginning um, I would refer to the Bates case where this court says that price advertising often leads to dramatically lower prices for the consumer and using the history of alcoholic beverages, those opinions, our testimony. But how um, far, how many commodities is that spread to? You were asked about guns. What about butter? What is, what is the line between what the state <laughs> can discourage and what it can't? I think the line would be those, for my cases, alcoholic beverages is unique because of, again, the regulatory history of this country and the social problems caused by alcoholic beverages and the focus that the Constitution has had on alcoholic beverages to constitutional amendments. This court has mentioned other um, items and goods as, and we've discussed it in this case, as vices. And I think Well, but that surely that's up to the people of the state. I mean, the people of one state may really be dead against uh, uh, drinking too much. The people of another state may be, may be vegetarians, and they're really dead against people eating, eating red meat. Isn't that a matter of policy that the citizens of the state are, are able to adopt on their own? And what this state can do, because it hates alcohol, surely another state should be able to do, because it hates red meat. That's up to the citizens of the state, isn't it? I mean, there's something up in the sky that says alcohol has to be hated and red meat doesn't? I think the history of alcoholic beverage regulation and the general police powers, I think... Uh, All right, if that's so, if we accept the uniqueness argument, and you can make it, I think you can make a very good uniqueness argument here. Uh, the, you know, gambling is in a different category because the states are going on a binge of supporting gambling. They're running it. Um, uh, the red meat does not seem to have, have, uh, have found very much disfavor and so on. So I think you've got a good argument for uniqueness. If we buy the uniqueness argument, are we in effect saying that Posadas was incorrectly decided so that we would have to overrule, in effect, we would be implicitly overruling that? No, I think Posadas um, explicitly found that since the state, or since Puerto Rico, could ban gambling altogether, the restriction on speech was permissible as long as the central Hudson... Then why don't you take that as your, your argument here? Because Rhode Island could, in fact, preclude the importation and sale of any liquor whatsoever 
uh, it therefore can regulate its advertising. I mean, if, if the Posadas argument is good, why isn't it good for you? That has been one of the arguments of the state up until this point. However, footnote two in Rubin um, convinced me that perhaps to set out to prove that the central Hudson test had been met was perhaps the wisest and simplest way to go about this case, and the state believes that the central Hudson test has been met. We also believe that the greater power to ban does include the lesser, but that we need not reach that point in this case today. As, but as, it is as part of your, your brief, you say that price advertising is the least informative speech concerning a product? Uh, if, if I were writing the opinion for the court to sustaining your position, uh, I think that would be a most unconvincing beginning. Let me try to explain what yep, I was... I was curious to know where you got that. Thing. What I was trying to say is that it doesn't tell you about the product itself. It doesn't tell you what's contained in that bottle or in that can, as did the information in Rubin. Rubin involved information about the product itself uh, and price advertising. So you were not talking about uh, price... Uh, information on a scale of uh, priorities of interest of the consumers. No, I think that would be a mistake. But if you say a fifth of Gilby's gin, you know what's in there. Some people might. Um, as far as the quality of the product, the amount of alcohol in the product, the smoothness, the taste, no, uh, that, that is different from price. Price does not tell you how good a product it is. Uh, how long it was in the barrel, et cetera. I think that's what I was trying to convey by that, to distinguish the information in this case from the Rubin case. You were not trying to convey the fact that the price is not a vital interest to consumers of most products. Absolutely not, and that takes us back to the reason and the basis for this statute, and that is what the testimony is here. Although the advertising uh, is questionable, uh, the effect of price is not. Thank you, Ms. Partington. Uh, Mr. Lawson, you have four minutes remaining. I will wait for rebuttal. May I ask you one question, though? Uh, the 11th Amendment always interested me, and in this case, I noticed the state is now a party but was not originally. How, how did the state get to be a party in this The case? state uh, voluntarily stepped in in place of its uh, administrator. I see. And, uh, I think that the 11th Amendment would not... Uh, be a problem where the state voluntarily... And, and at what stage of the proceedings did they become a party? Uh, sort of between the decision of the district court and the case reaching the, uh, the First Circuit. Uh, the appeal was taken in the name of the state, in other words. I think it was originally taken in the name of uh, the Liquor Control Administrator, but uh, uh, my memory of this is a, a, a somewhat uh, dim. But what happened is I... They voluntarily appeared rather than you're bringing them in. Is what no, I definitely didn't bring them in. They, they came in, and, and the state, in fact, uh, what happened was, I think the, the question of the state coming in came about at the same time that a stay was being sought of the decision of the uh, district court pending appeal. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lawson. The case is submitted.